Would you open God's precious holy word to John chapter 5 and we've come to verse 17. The greatest of all questions before the church throughout its existence and before every confessing Christian is this. What is your view of Jesus? This defines the power and direction of personal faith and of church ministry. Who is Jesus? What is your view of Jesus? The work of a local church, the life of a proclaiming Christian will rise or fall on how that question is answered. Chapter 5 here is a follow-up from the personal testimony of Jesus Christ to what we were taught in John chapter 1 regarding creation and the creator, Logos. There are only two options to answer the question, what is your view of Jesus? Number one, he is God. Or number two, he is not God. There's no middle ground there. The miracles, the demonstrated power, the witness of Old Testament prophets, of John the Baptist, the witness of the Father from on high who declared that Jesus is his beloved Son, the testimonies that continue and another testimony that we shall see today, and that is namely the, the testimony of Jesus himself. There's no middle ground. Either Jesus Christ is God or he is not. We studied to some extent in John chapter 1 that God the Son is the creator of everything. When God created the universe, the time-space continuum, with time and space and matter, 
It was God the Son. He is called Logos, which is translated word in most Bibles. Logos in John 1, you will remember. And in Genesis 1, the word of God is quickly seen when it said, and God said, that's word, and it was. The power of the word. So God Almighty condescends as the creator to become a part of his creation with a view to accomplish the redemption of the elect. Now only God can do this. Of course, I can't, I can't condescend into a rabbit or a roach bug or whatever. But God is God. Sometimes the silly question is asked, where did God come from? Now think about this. The existence of God is seen philosophically and scientifically. Christian apologists address it in these ways, philosophically. God is seen cosmologically. the study within philosophy of the beginning, the beginning. There, there's a, the second law of thermodynamics is that things are running out. Man, I've proved that in my own life. I'm giving out, man. The universe is expanding. That's been proven. The galaxies are fixed. This is an amazing thing. The galaxies are fixed and they are at rest because of the finished work of God. But by the law of physics that God has established, the universe is expanding. Well, how can a galaxy be at rest and the galaxy be expanding? Well, here's what you do. Get a balloon and stick some buttons on it, glue it, glue buttons on it. Blow the balloon up, the, the, the buttons are at rest. They're not going to expand as the balloon expands, right? So, God has established these things for the purpose of life and for the sake of his elect, because of his love for the son. We'll cover this as we go through this. So cosmologically, there's the philosophical argument that God exists. And then ontologically, oh boy. That there is a reality to existence. 
here I am walking around and if I curled up my fist and punched myself in the face as hard as I could, I would feel it. Because my fist is real and my face is real and pain is real. So, now any one of these arguments, the, 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 the presentation could be made on either, any case that would last for an hour or more. Just to sum it up. Philosophically then, the argument that God exists is made ontologically. It's made teleologically. Which is the argument for intelligent design. And it's made epistemologically. Which is the argument from reason or logic. Philosophically. No area of philosophy can escape the reality of God. It's proven scientifically because of law and order, the laws of physics, the laws of chemistry, the order that exists, the, the fine tuning of the balance of things, even gravity itself. This is, I think I put it in my pocket, yeah. This is good right here. I like this. I mean, I don't like it, but I like it. Pat is always wanting to go hiking or rock climbing or jumping out of airplanes or something. But I say, honey, why, why can't we just sit here and read scientific journals? <laughs> There's more excitement there than there is in falling out of an airplane or something. Okay. Theological journals, academic journals, hey, this is from Live Science. The article is by Paul Souter, written on 12 October 2021, not that long ago. It talks about the title, the title is this, the universe may have never begun. <laughs> that's, that's what he says. But I'm going to show you the foolishness of the intelligence or maybe the intelligence of the foolishness. Okay. In his work, what's this guy's name? Um, he employed a new theory of quantum gravity called a causal set theory in which time and space are broken down into discrete chunks of space-time. At some level, there's a fundamental unit of space-time, according to this theory. Now, to me, the fundamental unit would be cause. The guy's name is Bento, Bruno Bento. A physicist who studies, listen, Bruno, Bruno Bento is a physicist who studies the nature of time at the University of Liverpool in the UK. Well, I bet that's a happy class. <laughs> Bento and his collaborators used this causal set approach to explore the beginning of the universe. They found that it's possible 
that the universe had no beginning. Now, semantics are important here, okay? That it has always existed into the infinite past and only recently involved into what is called the Big Bang. Let me, I don't want to feel like we're chewing a rubber band here. Let me go on down. Um, The causal set theory has important implications for the nature of time. A huge part of the causal set of philosophy is that the passage of time is something physical, that it should not be attributed to some emergent sort of illusion or to something that happens inside our brains that makes us think that time passes. This passing is in itself a manifestation of the physical theory, Bento said. All right. The paper, his paper examined whether a beginning must exist in the causal set approach. The law of cause and effect, you understand? For every effect, there's a cause. And the great causer with a capital C is Almighty God, the creator. And this, this idiot, he's a fool because he doesn't believe in God, so I can call him a fool. The fool doesn't realize that what his theory does is actually establish the existence of God. And here's, what, here's how. This is the newest stuff out. I just thought y'all would like to know. I want to keep y'all up to date. <laughs> up to date on foolishness. Boy, the preacher kept us up to date today. We studied a lot of foolishness. In the original causal set formulation and dynamics, classically speaking, a causal set grows from nothing into the universe we see today. Duh, right? They pay this guy to write this stuff. But in our work instead, there would be no Big Bang as a beginning as the causal set would be infinite to the past so there's always something prior. We've been saying that all the time. He's God. So, they're, they're right in the direction they're heading. They are pitifully wrong and foolish in that they just refuse to acknowledge the existence of God. I was studying a paper, I forgot, what's it, Sir, Sir something, I forget his name, back in the 1800s, 1880s, he wrote this thing. And he was just fussing against creationism. And he was defending evolution. He said, we have to come up with some way to defeat the thought of creationism. We have to show that somehow something precedes Existence. <laughs> so I think, well, you, you fool. It's, it's already there. You just said it. Now, I'm trying to get our minds on the greatness of God. Here's the bottom line. We can never know God. In, not ever. Not into eternity will we ever know the fullness of God. We're not God. We live in three dimensions of time and one dimension of space. Where did God come from? Now, now think of the foolishness of that question. Where implies space. From implies space. Did God come? That implies time. To ask the question presupposes 
that God belongs to time and space. He doesn't. He's above it. He's beyond it. He's outside of it, if you can say that. There's really no word you can apply to God. He's too great. So you can't can't fit God into the time-space continuum because God made it. The cause is always greater than the effect. So it is simply impossible because of the aseity of God, the the self-sustaining power, the self-existing power of God, the aseity of God. It is impossible to address the question, where did God come from? Because you can't ask the question without referring to time and space and matter. And God made all of it. So you can't place the cause equal to the effect. You always know I get excited when my voice breaks. It's like Tarzan. Well, don't I wish. Sometimes maybe I ought to swing in on a rope making a point. I'm not going to do that. I would have to wear a loincloth and none of us, we'd all go to the hospital if that happened. Okay. Meanwhile, back in heaven... You simply can't ask a question like that because God's God. You can can prove the effect. You can prove the orderliness of it. You can prove how finely tuned it. You You can prove the intelligent design behind it. Your 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 DNA proves it. Your DNA carries information. Complex information. Did you know that cells communicate with one another in your body? They have a language. And if something comes in that is not the same language, they'll interpret and translate the language. It's amazing. There I go again. (laughs) Now, that God, the God, God, became a man. These people are standing in the presence of God. So, Jesus had just healed this guy at the pool on a Sabbath. That upset The Jewish leaders, they already hate him. Now, by this time, Jesus has already been in ministry probably a little more than two years at this point. So it's not like they just happened to start persecuting. This has been going on. When they persecuted him, the Bible says, the previous verse, Jesus answered them. Now, verse 17 through verse 47 is one long Discourse of Jesus. And it is Jesus answering and attacking his persecutors, these Jewish leaders. My Father 
is working until now and I am working. Okay, so if you study the rabbinical literature, you will find that rabbis debated over whether or not God worked on the Sabbath. <laughs> That's never kept me awake at night. But boy, it did for these rabbis. It still does. Does God work on the Sabbath? They finally, over a period of time, developed 39 categories to define work and what was acceptable and what was not acceptable on the Sabbath. Because, listen to me now, they were trying to accommodate God. Brother, trying to accommodate God. God can do light housework, to summarize, on the Sabbath, but there's some stuff God won't do because he won't break his law. Now, it is that stupidity that Jesus is addressing. He says, listen, yes, my father is working today on the Sabbath. It's in the present tense here, up there in the Greek text. Um, uh, ergazete. It's in the present, middle or passive. So what that means is he just keeps on. God has boundless energy. I'm not even sure you can apply the word energy to God. God is. He, I am. That's the best way we can say it. I am. So God is sustained within himself, the aseity of God. He keeps working. He never stops. Now, he rested on the Sabbath from creation work. The Sabbath means that we acknowledge the finished work of God and we honor him because he made everything, including ourselves. But we also study in the Bible, Isaiah says he never sleeps, he never grows weary, he never faints. He's always upholding everything Christ said in Colossians 1 or the Bible says in Colossians and again in Hebrews 1 in a different way but in the same thing that everything is upheld by the power of Christ. What strange force makes chaos into cosmos? The power of Christ. So my father always is working and so am I. In other words, I'm God. It's in the present tense there again, just like is working, am working. So to, to address their minds about whether or not God, he's, he's telling them he's God. My father is working. You see, they have, they, they have the same essence, father, son. My father is working until now. He keeps working and I do the same. Christ would later call, in another gospel would call himself the Lord of the Sabbath. He created it. So Christ says, I am God and God never stops working. Therefore, because of this, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Now this connects to John chapter 1. 
you know, in Arcana Logos, 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 the word became flesh. Sarks again at the flesh did become and dwelt among us as Kenison. He tabernacled, he, he set up his tent, which was not permanent to accomplish a mission. And then he would strike the rope of his tent. Now, they were all upset. He calls God his father, makes himself equal to God. Now, all of these disciples, there's one thing about the disciples who were, who grew up as strict monotheistic Jews. They never questioned the deity of Christ. They were there. They saw it. Only God could do what Christ did. So this is why they persecute him. He breaks the Sabbath according to them and he makes himself equal to God. Therefore Jesus answered and said to them, truly, truly I say to you, the son is not able to do anything except what he sees the father doing for whatever he does, likewise the son does. So the second thing is not only does he have the equality with God, but what he does is what God does. He does the will of his father. He never does anything apart from the will of the Father. There was that one time on the way to the cross, he said, if it's your will, let me get out of this cross, but, but not my will, your will. He came to exercise the will of the Father and never did anything in all of his life apart from the will of the Father. So this is God in action. God. For the Father loves the Son and shows all things to him that he does, and he will show him greater works than these, so that you may marvel. Now let me go back. The Father loves the Son. <clears throat> the Father, you know. And don't, don't choke on this. But before I am loved by the Father, the Father loves the Son. His highest and greatest love is for His Son. Go back before the foundation of the world. Remember, we've studied it, we've looked at it in the Scriptures, the eternal covenant between the Father and the Son. That for the sake of His glory, for His enjoyment and pleasure, and to receive praise and honor into the ages of the ages, the Father gave the gift of the elect to the Son. So, He does so because He loves the Son and He wants Him to have a bride. Now comes creation. And this little tiny speck of a speck called earth. 
the psalmist would ask the question, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou would visitest him, that thou wouldst visit him? It's a good question. It's a deep question. The answer is so that the father can deliver on his gift to the son to give him his bride. The father loves the son. And shows all things to him that he does. There are no secrets between the father and the son. And he will show him greater works than these so that you may marvel. Now what greater works? They're covered in the next couple of verses. The greater works include the power of life and resurrection. And the power of having authority to judge. And Christ then Describes those things, these greater works, so that you may marvel. For even as the Father raises up the dead and gives life, thus, and here's the third thing, the Son also gives life to whom he will, because it is of the will, it is of, the will of the Father. You will have life eternal only by the will of God. The Son gives life. To whom he will. Secondly, he judges the power of judgment. For even the Father, for not even the Father judges anyone, but all judgment has been given to the Son. The next thing is God the Son will receive glory and honor. So that all may honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. Simple truth. He who is not honoring the Son is not honoring the Father, the one having sent him. There is no God in your life. If it is not God and his Christ, I don't care what the religion may be. I don't care what the world may think. There is only one God and he can be known only through his son, Jesus Christ. You will not know God apart from that. Jesus will develop that throughout John's gospel. But if you don't honor the son, you're not honoring the father. Because the Father sent the Son. There's no other way. There's no middle ground. This is the true and living God, and there is no other God. Truly, truly, I say to you that the one hearing my word, next, the power of the word of God the Son. God said, and it was. God said and it was, the storm comes and God the Son says, be still, and it is. In the time of Joshua, God would order the Son to stand still. God the Son and God the Son could move the earth backwards if he wanted to. My word. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came into the world to save sinners. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus Christ died for your sins. If you are his, the power of the gospel, the power of the word of Christ is what draws you 
The will of the Father, the power of the Spirit, the word of Christ. My word. Nothing, no word, nothing anywhere. Not your will, not your thought. Not anything is more powerful than his word. He calls, you'll come. The one hearing my word and believing the one having sent me, he is the one who has eternal life and never will come into judgment. Very definitive in the Greek text. But he has passed out of death and into life. He's no longer enslaved to the flesh of the first Adam. He has been freed by the redeeming power of the last Adam. We are in Christ. He passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you that an hour is coming and now is. Christ is raising the dead in his ministry. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those hearing will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so also he gave life to the Son to have it in, him, in himself. The concept of life, what life is, the Father gave that to the Son. I have life and I have life eternal by the will and through the word of God the Son who operates and cannot operate apart from the will of the Father. That's what he said here. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. The messianic title that was first seen in Daniel. The Messiah, the Christ of God, God the Son. God the Son. So then what is your view of Jesus? Your thoughts and my thoughts, our thoughts are not high enough to reach the definition of God. No man has seen God at any time, but the, father, but the Son has declared him, exegete, has exegeted him, has described and explained him, has shown him and revealed him in a way that we can receive and understand. They'll never know God apart from Christ. You want to know God? Study the Gospels. You want to know about the Spirit of God in Christ? Study the Epistles. You want to know about the judgment of God? Study the Revelation. It is all in Christ. In Christ. We are saved by grace. The sovereign grace of God by the will of God, through the Father, through the Son, into the time and space where we live. And God brings us to himself. You see, God had to come to us. We could never, ever go to him. The, Rome, the epistle of the Romans says, you know, no one seeks God. No one is a seeker of God. God is the seeker. He seeks us in Christ. What is 
Jesus to you. What do you think of Jesus? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the son of God. He came into this world to save sinners. If you will admit that you're a sinner, if you will believe in Jesus and call on him to save you, God is bound by his word for his word says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just a moment, we'll stand and we'll sing a song of invitation. Perhaps you would like to respond to that invitation today here in the sanctuary. If not here, Maybe you'd like to sit down with a deacon and his wife as you exit in the room across the hall and discuss that with them. If you're here today and you're a Christian and God leads you into this fellowship, into this membership of this church, then you're invited to come. You can do that now or you can do it as you leave again by sitting down with the deacons and wives in those rooms just across the hall as you exit. This is God's time with us. Father God in heaven, bless us and use this invitation as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, okay, and sing.